0: Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians, chapter 6, we began a series on the armor of God. Did that about four weeks ago, and as we go through it, very important in our life, if it's going to be what it ought to be, have you opened up the Bible tonight, because as we do every service with all preaching, we want to preach from the truth. This book is true. This is God's book, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. This book is truth. If I didn't believe this book was truth, I'd be sitting at the house tonight. And that's just all there is to it. If I didn't believe it was true. Everything, that, every truth you know about God, you learn from this book. Everything. What you know about life, if it's not according to this book, you're wrong. This book is true. Now, this is a day and age where we've got a society that has gone absolutely nuts because they have no truth. Truth has fallen in the street. They want nothing to do with it. I say all that because as we deal with the armor of God, you're going to find as we go through each piece of the armor in the weeks that are ahead, and as we went through it last week with the first piece, we'll deal with the second piece tonight, that all of them, every piece of armor is based, it gets back to the Word of God. If you're going to successfully face the trials in life, you need the Word of God. And your relationship to the Word of God will really be the determiner of whether or not you come through the trials of life unscathed. A whole lot of lives get messed up because they follow their feelings, or as the world tells them to do, follow their heart, a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Instead of following God. God's word is truth. Now, having said that, let's read from the truth, beginning in verse 10. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, of course, as we go through a series of messages like this, it's always good to begin with a review for any that have missed part of the series. This way they know why we're at where we're at and uh, how far we've come along. Notice some things about the word of God. It gives us doctrines to teach us and to ground us. If your beliefs are not according to this book, you're wrong. That's just all there is to it. If it's not according to this book, you're wrong. God's word is right. I settled that a long time ago in my life. Psalm 119, 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate, not tolerate, I hate every false way. God's word is right. Even if something doesn't seem right to me, if God says it, he's right, I'm wrong. He knows a lot more than I do. I've not spoke anything into existence. He spoke everything into existence with the word of his mouth. And he did it right. My, I got this little brain. Remember the illustration I used the other day and got lost. That was Sunday morning. Anyway, it gives us doctrines to teach us and to ground us, warnings to alert us. And prepare us, rebukes to correct us, promises to sustain us, and encouragements to comfort us. And just like many of the epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul, you find that they start out with some doctrinal issues and cover some doctrinal issues. And then, usually, in the last third to last quarter of those books, you've got instructions on how we are supposed to live because those doctrines are true. The book of Ephesians is no different. It talks about our security in chapter 1, how we know that we are secure. We've been sealed unto the day of redemption. talks about our purpose, why we are here. For we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It is also for our protection and that he is our protection and also our salvation. For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. And then beginning in chapter 5, he instructs us On how we are to live, actually begins that in chapter four, dealing with right living and wrong living. Yes, we are saved by grace. And it is because we are saved by grace that we're to live right. Now, please understand, this is vital that we understand this. There's so many people who are using grace as the excuse to do whatever they want. No, sir, not at all. Because you're saved by grace, you can live right. You can do right. You got no excuse for doing wrong. Because we are saved by grace. We do believe in the eternal security of the believer because the Bible teaches that. Once you're saved, you're always saved, whether you live bad or good. But you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how you spent your Christian life. Now, when we get to the middle of chapter 6, he goes to wrapping up all that he's been said by talking about the battle that we are in talking about the problems that we have to face, the problems that confront us. And you remember that those problems were the wiles of the devil to deceive us, then the battle to defeat us, and the evil day to defile us. We all have to face that. We're not just to be doormats to lay down and let the devil run over us and the world run over us and the evil day run over us, but we are to stand. So he gives us some commands that we covered. We are to be strong in the Lord. We are to put on the whole armor of God. And we also are to stand and having done all to stand. So those are commands to us. It is an evil day. And because Christians are fading away because they don't have enough love for Jesus to live right, to do right. The world just continues to get worse and worse. I'm going to tell you up until the last 30 years, there is no way we ever thought in America that we'd have drag queens teaching kindergartners in public schools. There's an awful lot of wickedness that's going on in our nation that we never dreamed of 30 and 40 years ago would ever take place in this nation, and you just have to wonder what it's going to be like for the children that are now running around our church and what they're going to have to be facing when they get to be adults. You wonder if the United States will even be around. I know that sounds dramatic, but that's just the way it is. Now, last week, we dealt with the first part of the armor. You look at verse 14, he says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That's the very foundation of what we are to be, of what defends us from the wiles of the devil. After all, if you're not grounded in truth, then you're open for every scam that comes along every religious scam and every religious fad that comes along if you are not grounded in truth. Now, not only that, that truth protects us from the battle and it keeps us clean in the evil day. Now, the next is like that, the next piece of armor. And you remember, he said, put on the whole armor of God. He didn't say put on some of the armor of God. He said, put on the whole armor of God. Every believer needs each piece of this armor in their life. You need it. You need to put it on. God has designed it. It is for us and we need to get it. And the next piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, that is to be distinguished from the righteousness of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness is not the righteousness of Christ. The breastplate is an outer garment, something that that Christians are to put on. They're ornamental in that the uh, breastplate is seen and it identifies you. One of the things that identified the Roman army as it marched was that breastplate that shown very strongly for the, uh, the Roman warriors as they marched in their legions. And it's useful in that it protects uh, the person during the battle. Now, This is not something that's natural with us. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It is not natural. You want to find out what man is likely to do? Then just read the works of the flesh, which are these found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Righteousness is not something that we naturally do. No, man does not have a spark of good in him. He has evil in him. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. I can prove it to you. Nobody ever had to teach their child to lie. It came natural. Nobody ever had to teach their child to do wrong. You didn't have to teach them to say bad words. They do it naturally. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. The Bible says... Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21, for the imaginations of man's heart are only evil from his youth. The truth is we have to train them like everything to do what is right and to get the right kind of morals. Inward righteousness must come first before you can put on the outward righteousness of the breastplate of righteousness. The inward righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is applied To every born-again believer, this is not something you put on. It is something he puts on you when you trust Christ as your Savior, the righteousness of Christ. That's why I said the breastplate of righteousness is not Christ's righteousness. You don't have to put that on. When you got saved, he covered you with his righteousness so that when the Lord sees you, that's what he sees sees when he sees you. You have been covered in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to outward righteousness, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they shall be filled. God wants us to hunger and thirst after righteousness in our life. So this breastplate is an outer covering of an inward vital organ. That which is on the outside protects what is on the inside. So, truly, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Then why should we be concerned with the outward appearance? Because men can't see what's on your heart. You understand that? If you're going to have any kind of a testimony for righteousness, then they need to see you living righteously. Your testimony, you represent Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And that is what should be seen of men. As a matter of fact, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, he tells us that our clothes are to show the inward man of the heart. If you are one who has been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then your outward actions ought to show righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness now first the inward part needs to be taken care of because you see the heart has a problem it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh our, if our matter of fact the bible says as a man thinketh in his heart so is he what is our heart like the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked who can know it mark chapter 7 verses 20 through 23 jesus described What comes out of our heart? Now, listen to me. Only what's in you can come out of you. If you've got the wrong things coming out of your mouth, if you're vulgar and vile with your mouth, that's because that's what your heart is. You may not know it, but your mouth is literally an overhead projector of what's on your heart. Remember when we had those overhead projectors? You put them up here and there'd be a light you put a thing on a, a, on a little, uh, well, piece of glass. There'd be a light up here. that would shine the light down there, and the mirror that was in it would show you up here what was on the paper on the overhead projector. Well, that's what your mouth does. It shows everybody what's on your heart. You're a critical and complainer pers- complaining person. That's because that's what your heart is. I remember I had a man come to me one time. I was pastoring in Manchester, Tennessee, and I uh, had a man in the church who came to me, he, if he had a complaint, he always had to say it. Uh, and he had a complaint about our song leader. Our song leader, Brother E.C. Bailey, great guy, he's one of the deacons of the church, uh, tremendous fella. Now, he didn't know how to lead music, but he did it. He got up and he couldn't read music. He, he, he didn't know what the notes meant, didn't know what the notes were. He didn't play any musical instruments, anything like that. But he would get up, and he would just wave his hand like this. He didn't know four, four times, three, four times, six, eight times. He didn't know any of that stuff. But he did it, and I could count on him. He was faithful, and faithfulness means a whole lot more to me than talent. And so he did it. Well, this guy had a complaint, so he came to me, and he said this. He said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about Brother Bailey. He said, now, I don't... I don't want you to think, Pastor, that I'm a critical person. And I said, I said, that's what you are. That's all I ever hear from you. You come to me when you've got to complain about people, and you come to me a lot, and that's, all, that's why you even had to say, Pastor, I don't want you to think I'm a critical person. That is what you are. Now, the reality is, what's coming out of your mouth And I'm not talking while you're sitting in church and quiet and saying amen once in a while. I'm talking about when you're out with people. That's just showing everybody what's on your heart. Now, first, see, we need that heart. We need a new heart. And that comes in salvation by taking Christ as our Savior. But then outwardly, an outward show of righteousness without an inward reality of Christ's righteousness is a sham. And let's face it, there are some people who always try to do good, but they're not saved. Well, obviously, if they're not saved, they're not going to heaven. That outward show without the inward reality is not going to help them a bit. There are people like that that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye cursed I never knew you. They were going to hell because they hadn't been born again. Now, we get to this breastplate of righteousness again. Verse 14. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness is to be a shining revealing of what is within. And I mean, if you're saved, covered with the righteousness of Christ, this armor is to show that. Again, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So let's learn some things about the heart. Turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. All this, by the way, is by way of introduction. And I want you to notice in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Protection of the heart begins with the word of God. Matter of fact, if you go back to verse 20 in this passage, he says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are, notice, life. What? His words. His words. His words, this is vitally important, we understand that. Psalm 119 and verse 9, Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Verse 11 of Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And you understand, of course, that sin is a transgression of God's Word. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Not talking about the law of man. He's obviously talking about the law of God. With that in mind, now we're coming back to this passage here in Proverbs chapter 4, but I want, so I want you to mark that and go on over to the book of Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. The land that God had prepared for them. Moses is dead. Joshua is God's choice to be their next leader. He's giving some instruction to Joshua. Like in verse 6, be strong and of a good courage and so on. Then you get to verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous to do what? You say, man, he's going to be facing giants. He's going to be facing pagan. heathen. he's going to have to fight these people. There's going to be blood. There's going to be, man, great battles that are going to take place. Is that what he's to take courage about? Not at all. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. The key to keeping the land, the key to gaining the land and keeping the uh, land had to do with what he did with God's word, how he handled God's word. So he goes on to say, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Joshua, here's how you're going to get the land, and here's how you're going to prosper in getting the land. You obey God's word. You stay true, be courageous to keep God's word and whatever it says. One of the things, by the way, that was said in the, uh, when they got in the land, that with their first battle, they were not to take any of the accursed thing. All the spoil of the first battle was to go to be sacrificed to God. And so when Achan went into the one house there in Jericho, saw the wedges of gold and silver and the Babylonian garment and took them, He disobeyed God's word. The next day, they go out to fight at Ai and they get beat. 36 Israelites are dead. Why? Not because Ai's fighters were better than the people at Jericho. Not at all. They're dead because one man, Achan, disobeyed God's word. So they were defeated. They learned to go back to God's word in order to get the victory over Ai. Had nothing to do. You understand that neither the giants in the promised land nor all the peoples, the Ammonites, the the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the Philistines, all those people that were in the land were not strong enough to beat Israel with God on their side. They couldn't do it. They couldn't stop Israel. What stopped Israel? Disobedience to God's word. That's what stopped them. And you wonder why you can't be more successful in your Christian walk, why you don't have a better prayer life, why you don't have, uh, why you don't have service for him like you should and things aren't going like they should. Well, there's something wrong with your uh, relationship with the word of God. So turn over to Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah chapter 59. Remember, he tells him, he's going to tell him to keep his heart with all diligence He tells them first, You gotta gotta listen to my word. You gotta follow my word. Talking about God's word, of course. In Isaiah 59, and here's the problem that we have today. I wanna begin reading in verse 9. Therefore is judgment far from us, neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like, a bl- like uh, the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far off from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, and there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. That sounds like the armor of God of Ephesians chapter six, doesn't it? Old Testament, New Testament. But the problem is truth has fallen in the street. Where's the attack in fundamental Baptist churches today? The attack is on the word of God. As a matter of fact, people are only happy if you'll stop reading your King James Bible and pick up some new translation and they'll tell you, oh, this is better. What makes it better? I've got the truth. What can be better than truth? I want truth. I want an every word Bible. I don't want a dynamic equivalent Bible. I want an every word Bible. I don't want a cartoon Bible. I want an every word Bible. I don't want a paraphrased Bible. I don't want what one man's idea of it is. I want a translation of God's words. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. As a result, what a preacher does, he gets up and he's all the time saying, well, let's see, the Living Bible says this. Uh, the Amplified Bible says this. Good News for Modern Man says that. The Revised Standard Version says this. The New American Standard Version says this. Pick whichever one you want. In other words, they have no truth. That's right. They have no truth. It's pick what you want. No, God's given His Word. It's plain. Yeah. Like I said, if I didn't believe this Bible was the word of God, you wouldn't find me in church tonight. There's no point. You don't know whether what you believe about God is right or not unless you've got the Bible. You've got the more sure word of prophecy. And this is the more sure word of prophecy. You know, I'm still in my first point and... I need to move along. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. We're looking at a lot of scripture tonight, but we advertise this as midweek Bible study. And so we're studying the Bible. Romans chapter 1. Notice verse 18. Verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness And unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Now, we got an interesting term here, this term unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? There are some people who think that unrighteousness is only in the eyes of the beholder. No, it's unrighteousness in the eyes of God because it is his wrath that is against all unrighteousness of of man. Now, you say, well, give me some idea. What are some things that are unrighteousness? Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. But I wish you'd stay out of my preaching. Verse 29. Verse 29. Notice the wording. Very plain, very clear. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Now, notice the things that he mentions. Fornication. The wrath of God is against it. The wrath of God. The wrath. Of God. That same wrath that will be poured out upon the earth during the time of the tribulation is against it. When the victims of God's wrath poured out upon the earth, they're going to experience the reality of the wrath of God. Wrath of God's against fornication, against wickedness. Hey, everybody in this day where we've got more than we've ever had and we're less satisfied than we've ever been. Covetousness, the wrath of God is against it. Maliciousness, just bent on evil. Yeah, I mean, write down porch pirates there. That's what that means in the Greek. No, I'm just kidding. It's, that's not what that means in the Greek. But they're malicious in what they do. They don't care who they hurt. They don't care who they steal from. That's just one sign of that type of stuff. Full of envy, murder. Debate. God's wrath is against debate. Well, let's get together and debate with the cult. Why? All I'm doing is putting error up on the same platform with truth. All I've done when I debate, even if I'm standing for truth, when I get into a debate, all I've done is already exalted error to a place it has no business being. It is not on the same platform with truth. It is error. So debate. Debate. By the way, if you know anything about debate, it is not facts that win. It's the better debater that wins. You'll find with most debate societies, whether it be in high school or in college, that the people who debate can debate both sides of the issue. And can win on either side of the issue simply because of their ability to debate. The wrath of God's against it. The wrath of God. Yeah, back there with fornication. The wrath of God's against debate. Deceit. Deceit is getting uh, people uh, to believe a lie without actually telling a lie. Well, no, I I didn't really tell them a lie, but what you said got them to believe a lie. That's deceit. And the wrath of God is against it. Some people pride themselves how they can get people to believe things they know aren't true without telling them an untruth. Malignity, much like maliciousness, whisperers, backbiters, whispers and backbiters. Man, there's more of this kind of stuff going on on the internet, Facebook. You know what's interesting to me? The people that won't go to church because they're hypocrites in church, but they'll get on Facebook and they'll get on Instagram and other social media sites. And they'll they'll just spread every piece of gossip they've ever heard as though they know for sure it's the truth because they're the ones that experienced when they never experienced it at all. You talk about big hypocrites, people that won't go to church because there are hypocrites in the church, but they've got a Facebook site where they're on with people spreading all kinds of junk and garbage. That person is the hypocrite. That's why I don't get on Facebook because there are a bunch of hypocrites there. Amen. Let's get on. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, in the same list with murderers, in the same list with fornicators, in the same list with, uh, let's see, uh, ma- malignity, backbiters. Wow. Disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, they can't keep their word, without natural affection, implacable, and unmerciful. Now, that's simply the list of all unrighteousness. And I'm to put on the breastplate of what? Righteousness. So then, should any of these things be in my life? If I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness, Should any of these things be in my life? Absolutely not. And the wrath of God is against all these things. Now, let me show you something. I have a message that I've preached. It's been a long time. But the church, it's called the church where sin begins. I want you to go back to the book of Proverbs. And I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 5. Because we have a testimony that is given here. In Proverbs chapter 5, notice beginning in verse 12, he says, And say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me, I was almost in all evil where in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. How in the world can a person sitting in church be in the midst of all evil because of what their heart feels about what they're hearing? You notice he, he hated all the instruction and wisdom that he was getting. You see, the preacher can get up and he can preach on things like, hey, before you get married, you're not supposed to touch. And read the verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 on through the first 10 verses of uh, chapter 7. And the Bible's plain, pure, plain English. There's no way you can get around it that you're not to touch until you say, I do. That's just the way it is. It's what God said. And there are people that sit there, I don't like that. I don't like that. Man, I want to kiss. I want to hug. I want to smooch. I, yeah, I want to nick. I want to make out. You hate it. Well, guess what? That's exactly what's going to happen and more. Because that's their attitude. And where do they settle that? They settle that right in the church. They've made up their mind. They're not going to hear. I want to remind you, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. What he's describing here. This is why he was in the midst of sin right in the church. The sin doesn't begin out in the car late at night on some country lane. Doesn't begin there. Begins in the house of God when they made a decision about the fact they didn't like what they were hearing out of the word of God. They made up their mind they weren't going to obey. Well, then they're open to all kinds of things. So this is elementary. And I can't believe that so many Christians miss this. But then he gives further instruction. You see, it is not having a Bible that protects you. It's having a life that obeys the Scripture that protects you. That's where your protection is at. It will not take time to read the passage rather lengthy in James chapter 1. About be doers of the word, and not hearers only. Or also in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. When he talks about wisdom, the man who built his house... On the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. One heard the word and did it. One heard it and didn't do it. So it begins, this breastplate of righteousness begins in keeping your heart, in keeping your heart with the word of God. It's what it covers. You've got to be right on the word of God. And then further instruction on keeping your heart. So back to chapter 4 here in Proverbs. And with this we'll be done in just oh a couple of preacher minutes. We all know that an actual minute is 60 seconds. A mama minute is whenever she's done doing what she's doing right now. And nobody has any idea how long a preacher minute is. So further instruction here. Notice he gives it threefold. If he makes a statement like, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, he's going to tell us how to do that. And so notice the three main instructions that he gives. He says, First away, put away from thee a froward mouth. And perverse lips put far from thee. You gotta watch what comes out of your mouth. Two parts, froward mouth. A froward mouth is a stubborn mouth, a willful mouth, a contrary mouth. A perverse, perverse lips are those persisting in error or fault. Now, why is that? Well, Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13 the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward. Mouth do I hate. Proverbs 3.32, for the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Now note the command, put away, and then he says, put far from thee. Change what comes out of your mouth. In marriage relationships, what's coming out of your mouth will determine the direction of the relationship. In your relationship with people at church, what comes out of your mouth will determine where your heart's going to be. You've got to be careful what comes out of your mouth if you're going to keep your heart. Second thing here, he says your eyes. Notice in verse 25, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. You've got to be careful what you allow in your eye gate. The psalmist prayed and said, Set a watch, O Lord, before... I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. In the book of Job, chapter 31 and verse 1, Mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of this city. We need to understand, we have got to guard our eye gate. This is what makes television dangerous. It's also what makes the internet dangerous. You've got to be careful what you're watching through your eyes. Because i tell you, you'll see things. I don't care if it's the internet or, uh, uh, internet or television or whatever. You'll see things that Christians shouldn't be dwelling on. And once you see them, man, they're stuck there. I can still remember things that I saw back when I was a teenager that I wish I could forget. And I think most anybody who got saved a little later in life, I was 22 before I got saved. The devil has a way of still bringing those things up to you when you're trying to get close to the Lord. Say, how in the world do I get that stuff out of my head and out of my heart? It's there. Well, I try to wash myself out with the word of God over and over again. To your eyes, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So then the final thing has to do with your feet. If you're going to keep your heart, this breastplate of righteousness, if you're going to keep your heart, you got to be careful what you say. Got to be careful what you look at. And then you got to be careful where you go. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. I just want to tell you, there's a lot of places I'm never going. There's a lot of places you won't find me unless somebody knocks me out and throws me there. It's not going to happen for any reason. Let's just take as an example. I don't know what it's called now, but that that's funny. They don't think much of gentlemen. They call it a gentleman's club. It's not that. It used to be Jimmy's, remember, over here by the Walmart. That is a place of wickedness. Now, listen to me. There's no way I'm ever going in there. If I got a flat tire right there so that my car couldn't make it beyond there, I'm getting out of my car and I'm pushing it to the next parking lot. There's no way I'm pulling in there, for any reason whatsoever. Why? It's wicked. I've got no business being there for any reason. They're just places you have no business going. Now I've made some decisions about some other things in my life. Back in the 1990s, we had a liquor fight in uh, in Madison, Alabama. Uh, they were trying to bring in liquor by the glass so that they could have more more nice restaurants in town. And really, one of the main movers and shakers of that had to do with Applebee's. Applebee's already had built their place, where it's at over there. And they were encouraging this change so, of course, they could sell alcohol. And then on top of that, uh, other restaurants could come in. Now, we lost that. We lost the vote. Okay, fine. And uh, I made the statement back then, you'll never see me go into Applebee's to ever eat there or buy anything there. Wasn't going to do it. Still haven't, by the way, still have not done it, but I can't say I haven't been there. Because a few months after that liquor fight, I got a call. One of the waitresses down at the Applebee's called up Madison Baptist Church, wanted to talk to the pastor. And I said, this is Brother Allison. She said, listen, we have one of the bus boys here is he's talking about suicide. Could you could you come down and talk to him? And I'm thinking, because I'm not suspicious about anything, I'm thinking this is a setup. But could I really take a chance on somebody having a need? So I went ahead and drove down there, hoping nobody's driving by and seeing me go in. I went in, introduced myself. He was seated out in a car. Um, And so I went out and sat there for several minutes, talked to him got him to the place where he'd be willing to talk to his parents and so on. I went back in and told them, you need to call his mom, and uh, you need to tell her the problem, and what you need to do is tell her to come down and be with him. Uh, and they thanked me. They, thanked, they were nice. They were pleasant. And the manager came up to me, and he said, by the way, he said, I'd like to give you a free lunch. And I said, no, that's that's, that's Okay. I don't need a free lunch. Uh, just glad I was able to help the young man. Just make sure you call his mom. Walk out, and to make matters even worse, the Budweiser truck had pulled up and was unloading. Now, I'm sure nobody called them and said, we need it now, Pastor Allison's here, and boy, we got him now. I, I know now that was happening, but I've been to places, I'm preaching in different cities around the country, of course, I've been to places where the pastor says, where do you want to go eat? And I said, I don't care, preacher, as long as it's not Indian food. I hate curry. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fish fan either. But other than that, I'm glad to go. He says, well, hey, we like Applebee's over here. Let's go there. And I said, boy, if you do that, I can't go. Because I made up my mind I was never going into it. They'd never gotten a dime from me and never will. And it all goes back to that fight. Now, I haven't put that on anybody else. I've not told anybody else to do that. That's my decision. But if you're not going to keep your word, then just shut your mouth. And so that's what we've kept. Now, how important is this breastplate of righteousness? And with this, we close. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter. Are you going to serve the Lord? You want your life to count for God? I guess if you don't, it doesn't matter. But if you do, Paul was so concerned about his life counting for God. He says in verse 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Is it any wonder that later he gives instructions to the Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God. Why, man? Because there's a battle going on. There's a devil that wants to deceive you, a battle that wants to defeat you. There's an evil day to defile you. But you need to stand, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That's truth. Truth. And live the truth that you know. You know, it ought to be such. You ought to have the testimony of righteousness that is such that if somebody says something bad about you, nobody believes it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to put on the whole armor of God. We've only covered a couple pieces so far, but this is vital for our walk, for our testimony. Please, Lord, help us tonight, I pray. Lord, bless our people. You know our folks that are sick, and we ask for your healing touch. we got people that will be out of town here the next few days. God, keep them safe. Bring them back safely to us, we pray. And Lord, we'll thank you as you continue to bless